0: see everybody today. when I say that, I actually mean that too. I I think I say that every week, but I actually mean it. It is good to see everyone. Um, Because the world that we live in today, there are so many things that um, could keep us from being here. Um, So many things that compete for our time and all of that. And so I'm glad uh, when you guys show up every week. Um, And I know it's really easy to You know, watch services online, and if you're not here, I would encourage you to do that, to keep up with it. But, you know, like Kelly said, I think that there is something beneficial about gathering together as believers that's encouraging to us. Um, And so I'm glad that you're here. And when you invite other folks to to come with you, I think that's great, too, so that other people can hopefully encounter truth and um, encounter God in, in our services, and maybe their lives are changed as well. Um, So, again, glad that you guys are here today. It's good to see everybody. Um, Over the last month, really, we have been hitting on in different ways at different times the importance of moving outside of rows and gathering into circles. And so we've got a bunch of different groups that have started and and got some great participation in a lot of the things that are happening. Um, But if you are still one of those people who is looking for a circle, um, hopefully on your way in this morning you got one of these so our growth groups are a great way to, let me say it this way, like dip your toes into the water. Uh, the commitment level is not super high. So we do growth groups on Wednesdays here at the church from 7 to 8 p.m. And there's a different topic every month. So when you sign up to be a part of the growth group, really you're just signing up for three weeks. That's really it. And you never have to come back again if it's the worst experience you've ever had. Um, I don't think it'll be that. Uh, But in our growth groups, we talk about all kinds of different things related to, like, the Bible, what we believe, um, different issues of theology. We cover those uh, different months. And so this next month, so starting in October, the first Wednesday in October, we're going to talk about foreign missions or international missions. So it's kind of God's heart for all people, what's happening around the world, a little bit of history of missions, too, which I think is is going to be interesting, and then how we as a church are a part of missions as well. And so if that's something that is interesting to you, or you just want to, again, kind of an easy step into finding a circle, um, use that QR code to sign up to be a part of that growth group, um, or if you have questions about it, or if you're relatively new with us and you have any questions about anything that you hear today or about the church or whatever, I'll be available in our connection area. So out the doors to the right, I'll kind of hang out over there after the service and would love to um, just chat with you for a couple of minutes. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, as we um, quiet our hearts and prepare to look at your word for a few minutes this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that through what we uh, talk about, what we read, that the truth that we encounter today would be something that shapes the way that we think, the way that we see the world. And Father, I pray that we would be guided by you and who you are in everything that we do and not by anything else that would um, potentially influence us to do things differently. I pray that it would be our hearts as we gather together today that we would be your people um, and, and live according to the commands and the just the the way of life, the the, the precepts that you've laid out for us in your word, that um, through us and through our witness, other people would come to know the grace of Jesus um, and that their lives would be changed as well. So, Father, I pray that you would maybe challenge us in our thinking today um, so that we can be the people that you desire us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The church has a problem. And when I say that, I don't want to alarm anybody because I don't mean our church specifically. But when I say that, I mean like churches have a problem. Collectively, there is a problem in churches. We've talked about it a little bit in this series. It shows up in our introductory video that we're using for this message series. But the problem that's facing the church today is that young adults are leaving the church at unprecedented rates. You wouldn't have to work really hard to find article after article that talk about millennials and how they're leaving the church. According to a survey done by Lifeway Research, which is a Southern Baptist group, uh, they did a study and they found that 66% of teenagers, after they graduate high school, leave the church for at least a year. And those percentages are going up. The length of time that they're staying away from church is going up as well. All kinds of different reasons for that. But the number one reason that was given in that survey, 25% of the respondents, which was the highest percentage, so 25% of those people said that the reason that they're leaving the church is because of disagreements with the way that the church views certain social and political issues. Now, the surveys won't tell you what those issues are, but I will. Because I think that there are three primary issues. And I'm going to give them to you not necessarily in any order, but I think these are the issues that young adults are wrestling with. Number one is the view and treatment of the LGBTQ community. Second issue issues of racism. And social justice. And then the third is the role of women, both in society as a whole and in the church, which can include things like uh, hypermasculinity and patriarchy. And when I mention those, I want you to know up front the purpose of the message today is not to talk about how we should view all of those issues. And in mentioning them, I don't necessarily mean to lump them all together. They're all different issues, need to be handled differently, the way in which we approach them is different, they're all unique, but yet I believe that those are the three primary issues that young adults are hearing about in the church today, and they're saying to themselves, hey, something doesn't add up. And I'll be honest with you and and tell you that I understand their frustrations, as an insider of insiders, I'm involved in conversations at times, and I think to myself, what are we doing? Because the predominant message in the church today is to communicate all of the things that we're against. So to young people, we say, here are all of the things that we're against, never tell them what we are for, or even why we are for or against anything. The typical posture is to say, look at the world, it's a scary place, and here's a list of things that are wrong with the world. And then young adults are saying, you know what, I just don't want to be angry all the time. And then they go out into the world and say, it doesn't seem like it's as scary as you made it out to be. And so they're walking away from the church. I've thought about this, again, as an insider. Like, Why is it that all we do typically is to present the things that we're against? Because I think about the ministry of Jesus. And do you know what Jesus never did? He never went to normal people or outsiders and said, you need to know all of the things that I'm against. He didn't do that. Now, he communicated the things that he was against, he was clear on that, but he communicated that message to those insiders in the Jewish religious system of his day, because they were the ones who he was against. He called them whitewashed tombs, meaning that they tried to do everything right on the outside so that they looked good, but the reality was that their hearts were far from God. They were the ones that built walls that created undue burdens on people so that it kept them from God and so it was that hypocrisy that Jesus pointed out in their lives and it was that hypocrisy that Jesus was against and he was very clear on that but to normal people he never said the world's a terrible place and here are all the reasons why But what he did to them is he communicated a message of love and grace. A message of reconciliation with God and forgiveness of sins so that our lives can be changed. And that's why I believe as a church we should be known far more for what we are for than what we are against. Which I think is different than the predominant message that exists today. Now, having said all that, we still have these, what are culturally hot-button issues. And I could spend time this morning talking about what the Bible has to say about the LGBTQ community, because I think the Bible speaks to that. We could talk about racism and social justice. The Bible speaks to that, too. We could talk about the role of women in the church and in society. Certainly, the Bible speaks to that. But if I tried to do that this morning, I couldn't do justice to any of those subjects. And even if we were to take the next three weeks and talk about each of those, which we may do at some point in the future, that's not the plan immediately at least, my fear is that what I would do is surface a lot more questions and actually provide answers for. But having said all that, if you personally are struggling with what to believe about those issues, if you want to know what the Bible says about any of those issues, let me know and we can have a conversation because I would love to have that conversation with you and talk about those things. But I do think when younger adults are hearing the way that the church approaches those issues, really what's behind them is a thought about, hey, wait a minute, Like, how are we treating people? And so it's Truly what's behind the questions and the frustrations that they experience is, it's a question of humanity and human nature. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. I want to talk about human nature a little bit, which can give us a framework that we can use to have productive conversations about all kinds of different hot-button issues that affect us today and do so in a productive manner rather than just kind of yelling at each other, which is... What tends to happen related to a lot of issues in our world today? So, who are we as people? We're actually going to look at two different passages of Scripture today, which is something that's a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, both of these uh, passages are in the You Version, the Bible App Live event, and so if you are uh, used to following along there, both of the passages are going to be there when we get to them this morning. They're both going to be on the screen as I read them at different points in the message. Uh, but if you do have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. And so we're going to start in Genesis 1:26 and 27 with the creation of humanity. Let me just read these two verses. And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I mean, if we're going to talk about who we are as human beings and human nature, this seems to be, to me, the place that we have to start with the way in which we were created. And the first thing that we have to understand is fundamentally all people are made in the image of God. Like That's where we have to start. This is what makes us unique and different than everything else. We are made in the image of God. That's what it says in verse 26. It says, God said, let us make man. Now, as we understand that, as we read that, we should understand that to mean mankind or humanity, not just man or a man, men or a man, but mankind. God said, let us make mankind humanity in our image and likeness. The reason that I say that is because of what we read in verse 27. Because it says, he created him in the image of God and created them male and female. And So God is addressing humanity. All people, not just men or a man, but all people are made in the image of God. the question is, what does that mean? Because it's highly significant. This is the thing that separates us from everything else that God created. Humanity is made in the image of God. So what does that mean? I'll I'll give you a couple of things. Number one, it's personal. I addressed this a couple of weeks ago. Genesis 1 is, as I read it, I, I believe it's a theology of creation. The primary purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is to describe who God is in this creative process. That's the purpose, to help us to understand who God is as the creator. It may describe something of how God created, but the primary purpose is who, not how. And it is certainly not a modern scientific manual of the way in which God created. But yet at the same time, there's some stuff that's highly significant that's happening. See, if we were to go back and look at the very beginning of the creative process, we would read this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let the waters separate from the land. And it was so. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. And it was so. And so with all that God created up to the creation of man, it was God creating with his word. God said, and it was so. And then all of a sudden we get to the creation of humanity and now the formula changes. And it's far more personal because God said, let us... Make man in our image. And I, I think the, the language that's used there is, to, is done as a literary technique to simply draw us into the drama that is unfolding with the creation of man. And we get into Genesis chapter 2, and we read the specifics of the way in which man was created. It says that God created, formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And so the picture is God getting his hands dirty, forming Adam. It's personal. Helps us to understand that we are meant to relate to God in a way that's different than everything else that he created. The first thing it's so important to understand about being made in the image of God is that it's personal. Second, it is for all people. I know I kind of said that before, and I feel like as we read it, it should be relatively self-evident. But yet, at the same time, in the world that we live in today, I think I need to state it very clearly. Being made in the image of God includes all people. Not just one gender of people, not just one race of people, or not just one religion of people. It is all people. It's personal. It's for all people. And then ultimately what it means to be made in the image of God is all that we are is to be reflection of all that God is. There are two words in Genesis 1 that are really significant in helping us to understand what it means to be made in the image of God. And those two words are image and likeness. God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Those two words are communicating that we as human beings are God's work of art. They present a word picture. It's Uh, like an artist who looks at an original and then paints a painting or creates a sculpture that represents the original. The work of art is not the original, but it represents the original in all that it is, and that's what we are. God created us in His image. All that we are is a reflection of all that God is. We, who we are, all that we have, reflects and represents God in some way. So being made in the image of God is not something about us. It's not one part of us. But all that we are is to reflect all that God is. Made in His image. That includes, because it's all of us, that includes both the immaterial part of us as well as the material part of us. So it's not just that we have a soul or spirit, however you would label that immaterial part of us. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, but it's not just that. It also includes who we are physically, our bodies. You think about that, that's highly significant in its implications about how we take care of ourselves physically it used to be that there was a separation and kind of the immaterial was thought of as being good and the body was being evil, but I think a holistic view of being made in the image of God, it includes all of us, which includes our bodies, we need to take care of ourselves physically, may even have implications for how we think about ourselves in terms of maybe altering our bodies artificially. Like These are things that we need to wrestle through. But being made in the image of God includes all of us, both immaterial, immaterially and materially. Now, as I say that, it's important to understand that just because we have a body, it doesn't mean that God has a body in the same way that we do. So God's not just a bigger, better version of us. And Though we read anthropomorphic language, this is a really hard word to say, um, so that is a figure of speech where you ascribe human characteristics to something that is not human, So we read that language of God, like God's hands at work, or God's eyes roaming to and fro. That doesn't necessarily mean that God literally has hands, nor does it necessarily mean that he literally has eyes, because God is spirit and exists everywhere. But yet at the same time, as we understand it, all that we are, which includes our bodies, somehow represents and reflects who God is. So God made humanity in his image and then placed him on the earth and gave him the capacity to rule or steward over the land as God's representative. This is what we are created for. All humanity made in the image of God. Made exactly the way that God wanted us to be, in his image. But then sin entered the picture. And it's important to understand that when sin entered the picture... The image of God in humanity was not lost. It's not exactly the way that it was meant to be marred, but not lost completely. We still exist being made in the image of God. And that fact has to have implications for how we live and for how we speak about people. Because we are all made in the image of God, everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect, all people, different races of people, as we speak about the opposite sex, people from different religions, all people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Now, let me get a little bit more pointed. Because there are times when we excuse certain language, and we say things like this, well, that's just locker room talk. Or I would never say that to them. I was just joking around. I didn't really mean that. You know, I I grew up playing sports, spent a lot of time in locker rooms. As the dad of a son who plays sports, man, I don't want him to be involved in any kind of locker room talk. As a dad of a daughter, I think there's no excuse for it. In the book of James, James writes, how is it that with one sentence we can praise God and in the very next sentence, tear down those who are made in the image of God? This should not be so. All people made in the image of God. But we are all under the curse of sin. So if you do have a Bible, flip over to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3. Get past the Gospels and then the book of Acts. So luckily I have a little ribbon so I can get there real fast. Romans chapter 3. Let me read verses 9 through 18. This is Paul writing and he says, What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, as it is written. There, was no, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. Their In the path of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. I really enjoy, in a weird way, what Paul writes in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. Let me give you my paraphrased summary of Paul's argumentation, where he is writing in the first three chapters about a universal need for a Savior. Chapter 1, Paul says, Hey, you guys know all the bad people that do the bad things? Like They need help, right? Everybody understands that. Bad people who do bad things, they certainly need a Savior. And then he gets to chapter 2, and he says, you know what? It's not just the bad people who do the bad things that need help. It's actually the good people who do the good things that need help. Their good is not good enough. They need a Savior too. And then he gets into chapter 3, kind of at the beginning of where I started reading a second ago. And he says, well, what about us Jews? We have the law. Are we any better off? And his answer is no. Now let me modernize Paul's words for us. For those of us who grew up in church, are we any better off? For those of us who have a Judeo-Christian worldview, are we any better off? For those of us who were born in America, are we any better off? And I think Paul's point would be, no, all are under the curse of sin. Now, is it bad to be brought up in a Christian family, be raised in church? No. Is it bad to have a Judeo-Christian worldview? No. But if that's all we have, it's done nothing for us because we are under sin's curse. It's in Romans 5, if we were to continue reading in Romans, we read this, that when Adam sinned in the garden and ate the forbidden fruit, he acted as a representative for all humanity in some way. So that what he did in the garden, that sin was passed down to us. So that we are sinners not just because of what we do, but this is who we are. And in the rest of that section that I read, Paul explains what it means to be under the curse of sin. And the first thing that he says is that on our own, we would never be good enough. Verse 10, there's no one who's righteous, not even one, no one who does good. On our own, none of us are good enough. If there was this cosmic scale, which is in some ways the way that we think a lot of times where we hope at the end of our lives the good outweighs the bad. The reality is in comparison to God that scale would never tilt in our favor. In our favor. It doesn't matter how good we are. It would never be good enough. Second thing that Paul is, is writing about as he talks about the effects of sin in our lives, he says on our own, We would never seek after God. It's verse 11. No one who understands, no one who seeks after God. Sometimes people ask me a question like this Well, what about people who are sincere in their faith, sincere in their beliefs, whatever it is? I mean, God has to take that into consideration, doesn't He? On our own, because of the curse of sin, We would never seek after God. See, here's the problem. Let's say, in theory, we were sitting around one day and we realized, man, there has to be meaning to life. And then we went on a search for life's true meaning. That search would not lead us to finding God. At the end of the day, that would lead us to finding ourselves. See, that's what happened with Adam and Eve in the very beginning. They decided that they wanted to be their own God. So they decided that they, would, they were better off not listening to God's advice, listening to His commands, than doing things on their own. They decided to do it their own way, and in doing so, they made themselves God. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, too. I do not believe that there is truly an atheist. Now, there may be somebody who doesn't believe in a God outside of themselves, but at the end of the day, if you deny any God that exists outside of you, you are making yourself God. See, on our own, we don't seek after God, but thankfully, He seeks after us. But all of us still have that problem because we are sinners, even those of us who are followers of Christ. We still have this tendency to want to be God. And where we deny the things that God says, we decide to do things on our own, we are making ourselves God. And so we have to fight against that all the time. Because so we're under sin's curse. None of us are good enough on our own. On our own, we would never seek after God. And then third, because we are under sin's curse, if left on our own, We are capable of all kinds of evil. Verse 15, it says, Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. On our own, we are capable of all kinds of evil. And I think that's what we're seeing happening in the world around us. You might be thinking though, okay, if that's the case, we're all under sin's curse, then why are we not just the worst version of ourselves? I grew up, I feel like this was reinforced over and over again, though I can't specifically point to an event where I was taught this. I grew up believing, being told that if you weren't a Christian, you could not do good. Now sometimes non-Christians can look it can look like non-christians are doing good but the reality is they're not doing good because they're doing it for selfish motives and therefore it is not good. I will not say that. Because I know people that aren't Christians that I think do good. I think that they genu- genuinely want to help people. And they're not doing it for any more selfish motivation than I do when I th- do things that are good. So how is that possible? How is it that some people do good? How is it that we're not just the worst version of ourselves all the time if we're all equally under sin's curse? I think the reason that we aren't the worst version of ourselves is because of the grace of God, the goodness of God at work in the world around us, sort of curtailing evil at times, and then it is the goodness of God at work through the lives of followers of Jesus. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you're the salt of the earth and light of the world. Part of what Jesus was communicating is that it is our responsibility to point out the good or what is good, to be a a preserving agent in our world. Now, before you hear that and you sort of run off the rails a little bit and think to yourself, well, see, that's why we have to tell everybody what's wrong with the world. I would submit that our first and most important responsibility is to teach people what is good, what is right, what it means to act with compassion and mercy, what it means to treat people with dignity and respect, even when we disagree with them. Jesus said, By this will all men know that you're my disciples, by your love, not your right morals. Though right morals are important, Not by your right theology, though right belief is important. He said it's by our love. All people made in the image of God, but all of us under the curse of sin and in desperate need of a Savior. Thankfully, when left on our own, we would not find God. When left on our own, our good would never be good enough. When left on our own, we are capable of all kinds of evil. While we were lost in that state, God came seeking after us, and he sent his one and only son. When we could do nothing, it was Jesus who accomplished everything through his death and resurrection that allows us to be brought back into a relationship with God that changes everything about us and lasts forever. That's the message that we build our lives upon. Like that's the good news that we need to stand for. That is what we are for in a world where we present everything that we are against. We are for the truth that God loves us so much that he did everything to teach us a better way to live that leads us into an eternity with him. And so as we think about all of these things that we can argue about, that's what we have to remember. All people made in the image of God but all people under the curse of sin and in desperate need of a Savior. And when we were lost, God reached down into our lives and sought after us so that we could know him. And that's the message that I think we should be presenting to the world around us. We pray with me.